welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Pastor. All right, so um, real quick, I've heard it said that God inhabits the praise of his people. Amen? Um, Y'all were praising, so you know what's up, right? You know. Um, I just say that because I I have a quick confession. I really wanted to sing, but this thing taped to my face scared me. I was scared that at some point you would hear me, and that is most definitely not my gift. Um, I also want to state that these Gucci Frito lights is hard to see, y'all. So I'm going to squint a little bit, and hopefully... I like to look at people, you know what I mean? I'm one of those folks. Um, But before I jump in, um, I just want to thank Pastor James, the the whole pastoral and leadership team here at The Bridge for the invitation to preach and share the beautiful truth of God's gospel with you all. Um, It is my sincerest desire that as I I speak, um, I'm preaching from an affected heart. And I'm not preaching as someone who got a word for you. I'm I'm preaching as one who's being transformed by the living word as I speak. Um, So that's my deepest hope and desire for you guys all. Um, So, yeah, yeah, you can clap. I'm good with that feedback, too. I'm I'm a native New Yorker. I'm a New Yorican from the South Bronx. We good. We good with all that. See, look, I'm like this. I'm like, really want to see somebody's face. Rasul, you're going to be the point of my focus for me. Nah, nah, it's good. It's all good. I just do all this a lot. Um, I'm here with my family. I just want to just big them up real quick and beginning with my wife, Frances, who has said yes um, to God in a very difficult task of being a church planter's wife, and she's endured much for the sake of mission, and I love you, sweetie. Thank you. Which is cool, because I asked, I said, listen, you all right if I embarrass you a little bit? And she was like, well, I'm used to you. (laughs) I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, my son Benjamin is here, is in the back. My daughter Alexandra's here, and then Savannah, who's kind of been like a daughter for the past three weeks. She's around a lot. Um, just neighbors from, from the block, and, and we believe on, in, in being present. So we had a saying at our church, which is, thanks for the lights, by the way. Um, our most important ministry is showing up. We believe in the power in the, of being present and showing up in the everyday um, ups and downs of life. And scripture says that when your neighbor, your brother, your sister, when they rejoice, you rejoice, and when they weep, you weep. And you can't do that if you're not there. So we're about being there. So um, me, myself, like I said, I I, I was born in the Bronx, in the South Bronx, lived in the Bronx my whole life. Um, God, it's only a way that God can called us to plant restoration with a group of really amazing folks um, and, and it is our joy and privilege to just live and serve there. Um, we want to be a church that's on the block for the city, showing off the glory of Christ. Like we, we, again, this idea of being present and showing up is huge to us. So we're that church where you walk down a block, you're gonna bump into somebody that's from church. When you go to the school, there's somebody there from church. And, and you know, we revolving door house, folks are always in my crib. And that's the way that we, we want to live, and that's the way we want to die in service of our king. So um, that's just a little bit about us. And today, since I was asked to come and preach, and they didn't give me like an assigned topic, which is hard for me. So we, what we do in my church is we preach through books of the Bible. Like, we'll take 11 months and just go through stuff. So it's easy to preach that way. 
So when they ask you and they don't give you an assigned topic, you just don't want to go buck wild and, and messed up the whole church flow by coming and interrupting something. But I will share with you a text that's kind of just been on my heart a lot lately, um, just because I think this whole year has been about mission to me. It really has this idea of, and, and I'll get to it at some point, and this little phrase that God gave me early on in the year that I've been repeating almost daily to myself and to anyone who will listen, so you're gonna hear it at some point. Um, so what we're gonna really talk about today is this idea that Jesus sends, breathes, and blesses a scared people, and in the process, he creates a sent people. So what we're gonna do is, we're gonna look at three verses, um, and we're gonna do so expectantly. So I know in the worship, it touched on this idea, like you, the proper posture for a Christian is to walk into a space like this and expect to get spoken to. So it, it's not because I'm some special conduit and that there's some super magical anointing on me that no one else has. Like I said, I'm, I'm just trying to rock from an affected heart. I'm just trying to sit up under the weight of the word and have the grace of God move me in such a way that I will always be touched. And, and again, that's my greatest desire for you guys all. So we want to expect to be spoken to. So what I'm going to do is jump into the word. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to the book of John, chapter 20. If you're on a device, tap or scroll your way over to it. We're going to look at verses 21, 22, and 23. So John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The word of the Lord. Now, the entire book of John, if you look at it enough, starts to become like an echo of Genesis. So the Bible opens up with, in the beginning, and John opens up with, in the beginning. And you start to see slowly through it that there's a lot of themes, and this is the thing, like, Everything that we know to be true finds its fulfillment in Christ. So when Jesus steps into his own, he starts to recreate creation. He starts to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and he sets things aright. Um, and, and the book of John, the gospel, John's gospel account, I think is a better phrase. He's just talking about Jesus, and that's what we all do, right? We all got an account of the gospel. Whether you want to body that or not, you should own it. Um, is an echo of Genesis, and we start to see a lot of Jesus kind of recreating creation, setting everything aright. Um, and when we come to this text, we, we, I read these three verses, but it's kind of hard, so I'm gonna just peel back. I'm, again, man, I got this bodega ethic thing in me where I like to talk and talk on the corner, so if it sounds a little crazy, forgive me. But if you go back to, to John, right, right to the first verse of John 20, you start to see that very early on the first day of the week, Mary runs out to the tomb. So they just finished, they're on the tail end of a, 
drama-filled three days. So they, they had just, I would say, the shock and the horror of Good Friday, where they saw Jesus crucified, where they saw his dead body, and where they stepped into the Sabbath of Saturday and it was just quiet. They can't really do much because that's the rules. So they, they couldn't even prepare Jesus' body properly because it was late in the day and the Sabbath was approaching. So they just kind of had to sit on this. So very early on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, Mary runs out because that was kind of messed up. They couldn't finish doing the burial rites for Jesus. The, Sabbath was here, they couldn't wrap them up right, they couldn't do the things, they couldn't get the herbs, the spices, they, they weren't able to do any of that. So she was deeply concerned that she wasn't able to do this for Jesus. So once Sunday comes, she bolts. She dips out early in the morning and she runs out. There's early in the morning echo genesis stuff, you keep thinking about all this language, it, it ties up together. She runs out, scripture says she gets to the tomb and she stoops down low to see it. Now, I know when we do the Easter plays, there's like this big cardboard rock that gets rolled to the side and there's always like this big like stepping tomb. That's not a cave, it's a tomb. They're cut out low. So they're these cold, dark, dead places cut out low. So when the scripture says she had to stoop down, she was literally stooping down. So you can picture her kind of like on her hands and knees looking up into the hole and then she hears these voices, angels telling her, why are you looking for him? He's not there. Then Jesus actually shows up. She thinks he's the gardener. So Jesus speaks, she turns around, she thinks he's the gardener, she keeps looking, and then Jesus does something amazing. He goes, Mary. And then she knows it's him. Jesus said her name while she was looking for him where she thought he was. Now let's keep it real. So I, I said I'd, we could keep it a buck, right? We go to places thinking we're doing something for Jesus all the time. And we're always looking in cold, dark, dead places for a living king. And he shows up and we don't even know it's him. He has to say our name. He has to reveal himself to us because we are so caught up in our feelings and our emotions that we're unaware. We think he's the gardener, that he's the help. He ain't the help, he's the Lord. So he shows up, she automatically calls him teacher, Raboni, once she hears his name, she, I, I, I'm assuming, and you, feel free to use your biblical imagination, Jesus says don't cling on me, so she must have thrown herself on him says this crazy thing about don't, I haven't ascended to the Father yet, like don't hold me, just go tell the other ones I'm here. So she does. And then when we get to uh, chapter, I mean verse 19, you start, um, and I'll go back and read this just because it's kind of funny. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Mary goes out looking for Jesus in, in a cold, dead, dark place. He isn't there. He's actually behind her. So who finds who? Then she goes back and tells the disciples and rightly so, they were behind closed doors in familiar company because this was just a crazy three day stretch. Their Lord and King, the guy they were following was just killed. 
Their hopes and dreams must have been crushed. They didn't have no idea what was going on. There's all this friction and tension. And then all of a sudden, through a locked door, Jesus just shows up in the middle of the room and says, peace be with you. How would you feel? No, like, sometimes it helps to sit inside the story, amen? Amen. And not to act like we're some special being who this wasn't intended for. We have a lot in common with these folks. I'd be behind a locked door too. I'd be in familiar company too. They actually said they were there because they feared the Jews. They were scared of being around their own people. And this is where Jesus says up and says, peace to you. And then in verse 21, he says it again. Peace to you. He shows them his hands, shows them his wounds, and he kind of lets them know that you can't lock out that type of peace. You can't close the door on Christ. You can hide and run as much as you want, go anywhere you go, you ain't out running Jesus. So he shows up and he says it again, and the scripture says, he says it again, peace to you. See, what Jesus is telling them is that he's one peace for them. The peace he's talking about isn't an absence of evil. The peace he's talking about is shalom. This overall sense of of wholeness and well-being this idea of flourishing of life, not in the absence of difficulties, but in the midst of them. So what Jesus does when he shows up, he says, peace to you, they're shocked. He says it again, has to let them know, no, for real, peace be with you. I am with you, I have won this victory. I have secured this truth for you. What you sought and you, what you sought for yourself, what you think you're seeking out, what you've tried to do or tried to acquire with all your abilities, your gifts, and all your swag, only I can grant. So I'm gonna show up behind a closed door and tell you, I'm gonna pop up in the middle of your room and announce to you that peace is actually with you. There ain't no need to be scared. Now this is the grace of Jesus, the way the, the grace of God reassures us in our fear with his word, through his spoken word, that the peace that we've always needed, that we've desired and longed for from the very beginning of our short little existence here on earth is found in him and him alone. And in his grace, he ain't knocking nobody for locking themselves up behind a closed door or looking for him in cold, dead places. He's still gracious enough to give his peace. He doesn't withhold it, he gives it freely. And they're both shocked and joy-filled. And and the text actually says that. It says that when he had said this, he, no, my bad. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I don't know, man, and I just like to talk about this, and y'all can tell me if I'm crazy. But don't you feel like Jesus needs to show you things before you actually take him at his word? Like, are we that different from these folks that were locked up behind a closed door with familiar company? That even when he shows up, he still has to show us proof? I'm telling you, we think Jesus is the gardener. We think he's the help all the time. Then Jesus um, basically 
gives his peace, assures them that he is the one that has secured this victory, right? That he's won this for them. And then he graciously, I, I don't know how he does this or why he does this, he, he, he commissions us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't condemn them for being fearful or unsure or unclear. He doesn't condemn them for doubting. He doesn't condemn them for questioning. He commissions them. And the way he does it is with this crazy sentence, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The church is always sent. That as a church, we exist always in sent mode. We are soaked with a sense of sentness. I just made that up, was it cool? He doesn't condemn us, he commissions us. He doesn't find fault in our inability to grasp with our finite minds this enormous truth of a God who has created everything and exists outside of this thing that we call time. I love in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 4.1, something around there, where Paul says, or 4.10, where we're to be regarded as such stewards of the mysteries of Christ. You see what we do when we come up here and we open this up? We do our best to manage mysteries. Trusting in the one who is crystal clear, even if he's a little fuzzy in my mind. I don't always know what I'm saying, but I trust him. And my hope and my desire is that you, you, you okay with that. That you'll be all right showing up, being present, and just opening up your mouth. We're all ministers in word and deed whether we like it or not, because the church is always sent and you don't get saved to sit. There's no way around it, y'all. As the Father is sending me, I am sending you. He says that after he grants his peace to a bunch of scared people locked up behind the door. Again, this is the reassuring grace of God on beautiful display. Jesus is sending. And this is what's nuts to me. Like if you were to go back and read John 17 and that great high priestly prayer, like Jesus prays for us. So this commissioning by extension of the faithful obedience of those first disciples is extended to us today. So we were in that room, locked up behind the closed door. And you're still getting sent, whether you're good with that or not. And the grace of God is evident in the fact that for some reason in, in, in the gospel and the kingdom economy, it's okay to not be okay. But you gotta be faithful. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now let's go back to this echo of Genesis thing. Remember when God made man? He touched dirt with his hands. He shaped it, he formed it, but it wasn't enough. The dirt needed inspiration. So he breathed into it. <laughs> 
Jesus is recreating creation. Your purpose is now being empowered with the Holy Spirit. This thing that I'm sending you on, you can't do it on your own. The Holy Spirit is both the fuel and the fire. We need to constantly be filled. That's why we sing songs like Fall Afresh. Every day you need that Holy Ghost juice poured all over your soul so that you can just go out and face people. Not even talking about mission, now we're keeping it real. Sometimes you need the Holy Spirit just to deal with your family. But we need it, and guess what? He's there. You ain't gotta go looking for him. Jesus breathed and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a beautiful picture of this whole Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones thing. Remember, you, somebody, so somebody was reading that, my sis over here, she got excited when I said it. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy, right? Say his words over these dry bones and then he starts to see flesh grow on them, sinews, like everything starts to come together. But again, not enough. It ain't enough to make man. But then he says, breathe. Talks about the four winds, let that come together, right? So they can have the spirit. See, the, the Holy Spirit is wind for our sails. If not, we just lost adrift and sea. Aimlessly, not knowing where we're going, not knowing where our destination is, not knowing who's on the boat with us. We need the Holy Spirit, and Jesus in his grace grants that in this text by breathing on them. Now, one of the things, and the, the reason I mentioned this Ezekiel verse, and I, it was actually this morning when I was reading it again, it, it kind of threw me into a loop. When I get to the part where he says, um, breathe into these slain so that they may live. I don't know why that phrase kind of just stuck with me. But I think that God, in that moment, in his graciousness, was just letting me know that, um, that if we call ourselves Christians, but we're still hiding behind a locked door in familiar country, um, familiar company, we ain't really living. Like if we call ourselves Christians, yet we hide. Behind, closed doors of a, behind the closed doors of a sanctuary on a Sunday and we're familiar company because we're scared that the sinners is gonna stain us. We're not really living. It's not the reason why we were made. There's no worship in that. that. That is a weak witness. A scared, weak witness that has no place in this beautiful thing called church. Church is alive. It is both organization and organism. It moves, it breathes. I told you Picasso, but now I'm only playing. <laughs> we can't just sit. The, the Christian life is not a spectator sport. We don't watch it from afar. There's no way around the mysteries of the gospel. 
Like you, we, we can't get around it. The only way to exist is to step into it in faith, even if we don't know what to say, even if we don't know what to do, even if we're scared. Fam, we gotta just open up the door. We can't just sit as a church with the same old folks talking about the same old things. Born again people don't do the same dead things. They don't. This is what's happening here. Jesus is recreating everything. He said, I know this is how I made it, but this is how I'm remaking it and I'm fueling it. You were missing something. Now you have it. What are you scared of? Why are you still sitting? The indwelt Holy Spirit that both fills and fuels the mission of the church, we have it. We don't need to look for it under a rock. We have it. Every time we dip into the word, we read, we pray, the Holy Spirit starts singing to our souls. You know that feeling. I can't be the only one that feels that. You start to feel alive, energetic, as if you are meant to do something. When you feel that, do something. Don't sit, don't chill. This ain't the Christian life. Unless you're sitting with someone holding their hand and listening while they hurt. And that's a picture of God's grace. Other than that, you're just sitting and you're taking up space. Verse 23, and I'm almost done. I'm pre I preach, a lot, I think, shorter than you guys. Because, y'all, I looked online, it was like 50 minute sermons. We, we do 30, I ain't knocking it. I'm just saying I'm not used to it, so I have to stay in restoration shape. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is nuts. This is nuts. This is the same Jesus who in the Great Commission, and I know this is a Baptist church, y'all like the Great Commission. That whole great commission begins with Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. Not some of it, all of it. This is the same Jesus talking right now saying, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The same Jesus that told the disciples, you're gonna raise the dead, you're gonna heal the sick, and you're gonna cast out demons. You know that's the job of the church? That's the whole point. I just don't think we know how to frame this right in our language. You see, every time someone goes from sinner to saint, they go from death to life. We see the dead resurrected all the time. The whole word, right? The term born again. We see healings all the time. Sometimes we get to see them physically. Sometimes we get to see them spiritually. See, because here's the thing. For those of you that are already Christians and been Christians for a while, there are times where you're spiritually sick. You just don't feel well. You still got breath, you still got feet to move, but you ain't right. 
you need to be healed. And it is in those moments where you, you got that one good friend, that one person who after listening for a long time, they give you a word. The, the words of Christ always bring dead to life, heal the sick. This is the beauty of this thing that we call church. Now there's an author that I love, his name is Frederick Beekner. I just like the way he writes and the way he uses words. And um, in one of his sermons, I like to read his sermons, not listen to him. It's actually kind of boring if you listen to him. But the written word is impeccable, it's just dope. He wrote at in, in, in one point that Jesus started the church with humans because that's all there was to start it with. And as far as he knows, that's still all there is for church. Think about that. He didn't pick the best of the best. He didn't go for the elite. He went for us. Because in him, we're magnificent. We are the poetic expression of God's goodness, Ephesians 2.10 says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, not sit and stare at them. This is a quote from that same sermon regarding the church. On this planet, at least, church is the only body for the time being that Christ has, which is to say that you and I are the only bodies Christ has. He has no hands to reach out to people with except our hands no feet to go to them with except our feet, no other eyes to see them with, no other faces to show them his love. If he's right in that beautiful paragraph, and I believe he is, then we're all of us little glimpses of Christ. So when Jesus says we're salt and light, what he's saying is, you guys have to go to die in dark places. Because when you show up, they get a glimpse of me. They, my wife's probably heard this a lot, but y'all didn't, so I'm going to share it with y'all. Okay, I see y'all again. I've always viewed worship like this, and this is weird, but if you haven't noticed, yes, everything in me is pictures and stuff like that, right? I've always viewed worship like being locked up in a big black hefty bag. It sounds weird, but rock with me. I'm in there, I'm chilling, can't see nothing. Every time I say the name of Jesus, I poke a hole in the bag, light comes in. Eventually I say it enough, a lot of lights start to flood in. But then I start to see myself. And if I'm honest, I don't like what I see. So what I do is, since I'm Puerto Rican and I grew up in the projects, I get duct tape. <laughs> and I start taping up the insides of the bag. To what? To stop the light from coming in. And it works in a sense because it gets dark again. But the thing is, is it really dark once you've experienced the light of Christ? I already know what I look like. I already know. Ain't no bag gonna hide that anymore. I might as well just rip off the duct tape and handle it. So what I'm saying is 
Get a big H, put it on your chest and handle it. You ain't get saved to sit. You got saved to be sent. So go. What are you scared of? None of us are that fly. None of us. We're all struggling to figure out what it's like to follow Jesus. But here's the beauty. We get to do it together. Not in judgment, but in fellowship. The fellowship of the saints where we can sit down and go, and it's, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have all the words. But I know one who in my weakest moment stepped in to save me, rescued me, and even if I ain't got it, I know he does. Amen. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, we make too much of ourselves and too little of him when we make excuses for not being sent, for not going. Maybe, just maybe, we're still scared of what Christ might do with tragically broken but beautiful people. He puts us to look around, there's flavor in this room. I respect that. I like that. Yeah, like I, we have a small church, maybe like one section of this, a little church plant, but it's like an everything bagel. That's not supposed to happen. That ain't supposed to happen. In a big church, it's easy to be diverse, but when they're small, like you, you gotta touch people. That's a cue to run to safety. That's a cue to close the doors. I don't gotta let other people in to see my junk. I can hide and be safe, but the, the church is not designed for that. It's, it's designed for this, what I see right now. Well, I can try to see. This is a beautiful expression of what awaits. Why don't we bring more people into this? Why don't we go out, bring it to them? Jesus, remember the whole story? Mary goes out early in the morning thinking she's gonna find him. He's the one that finds her. They're locked up, talking about it. Who, who magically phases through a door? Jesus. It's the same thing. We can't lock the door on Christ. We can't. There's no way of shutting out the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, hiding is not living. Sitting scared is just defeating the purpose. Because here's the thing. I've always said this to folks that aren't from New York, because I know people come here all the time and they get lost when they try to walk with me. Like, you got to understand, like I grew up here, so I, I understand that New York is a move to get moved on place. Right, if you're just gonna sit, it's, it, later, Papa, we out. <laughs> God is going to accomplish his good purposes in his world because it's all about him anyway. The fact that we're invited to participate should move us towards mission. It shouldn't make us lock the door. Like, yo, move or get moved on. God is going to do what he's going to do. That's done, it's said. He actually said, it is finished. We just, we just dance in this tension of the already but not yet. But why would we willingly waste the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing? If he's gonna do it anyway. 
If you're going to do something, I'd rather you do it with me. I want to be a witness to that so that I can point to hope and help in Jesus. I think because that's the only shot that we got. So um, we don't get saved to sit. The Christian life is not a spectator sport. We have been blessed, blessed with breath. Not our own, but our king's. I, my prayer is that we just be an unafraid people. That we wouldn't lock the doors and run to familiar company every time something gets straight. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are kind, good, just, holy, and all those other words that we still don't fully understand. Yet you have in your kindness and your goodness and in your grace um, invited us to be a part of what you are doing. So, Father, I pray that as we, we struggle with this, God, and we confess our inabilities, we also rejoice and celebrate that when we are weak, you are strong. So I pray, God, that you would stir the affections of your people's hearts, that we would be moved to mission, God, that we wouldn't be scared spectators, but that we would be active participants in your grace, pushing back the darkness in our communities. Father, bless us, move us, um, Take us to where you want, God. We pray this in the beautiful and magnificent name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.